Hi, this is Future Ambi. So I accidentally deleted my recording instead of saving it. So I lost my good recording, but I have a backup that I'm using for this episode. So there might be some echoing and it's not as good quality. So I'm sorry. Welcome to episode 61 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to figure out how to get that one faucet in your house to stop dripping. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about water games. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, like Villainous and Sprawlopolis. Then, we talk about games where water of some kind is a major part of the theme or mechanics. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word flood. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. Last episode, I mentioned Villainous because we were talking about IP games, and Villainous is a new game that's Disney-themed. It came out 2018. It is signed by Prospero Hall and published by Wonderforge, and it is about Disney villains. It's two to six players. You're playing as different Disney villains. I think there's Ursula, Jafar, the Queen of Hearts, Maleficent, and some other ones that I forget. Yeah, I know Captain Hook it. is in there. Oh yeah, Captain Hook. And oh, Prince John. I think those are the ones that come in the base game, but they're planning on doing expansions. But basically you're playing as different villains. Everything's asymmetric. So you have this deck of cards that's your villain deck and then a deck that's your fate deck for each villain. And the fate deck are like the different heroes and things that are good in the movie, but bad for you because you're a villain. So like I was playing Ursula and then my villain deck has different things that I have. Like my allies are Flotsam and Jetsam. And then the fate deck has the bad guys like Ariel and (laughs) and King Triton. Oh no, they're so horrible. (laughs) So, so the way it works is you're, you have a pawn that you're placing on your board and each board space has four different actions. Like playing a card, getting power, which is the points that you can use to play cards, or drawing fate decks of someone else. So the fate deck action is you draw cards from someone else's fate deck and play it on their thing. So it's like attacking that person. And then each person has a goal that they're trying to do. I was Ursula. I needed to get the trident, the King Triton's trident and his crown and have them on my, in a specific location in my Ursula's um, cave. Captain Hook needs to defeat Peter Pan on the Jolly Roger. Uh, Maleficent needs to get curses in all of her locations. So they're all different win conditions. And they all go with the cards that you have in your deck. Which is pretty interesting. And the art is really nice. They're all Disney character art, but it's like redrawn. in a new. So it's new art. So yeah, they're and, not repurposing yeah. existing pictures. They're, it's new takes on it, basically. Yeah, yeah. So it looks really nice, really nice components. And the little pawns are each abstracted figures of the villains. So it's like one color. Ursula's was purple and it's like made out of plastic and an abstracted Ursula figure. So you can kind of tell it's Ursula, but it looks really cool. But um, so I played the game. We played four players and I thought it overstayed its welcome. I liked the asymmetric card play and stuff, but there was a lot of take that because when someone's about to win... Everyone just would do the fate action on them to stop them from winning. Oh and no, it, the Munchkin problem. Yeah, so it's like Munchkin, except for you can still do it for the second place person. So in Munchkin, it stops because then the second place person wins because everyone uses up all their stuff. 
but in Villainous, it just kept going. So it's more balanced, but then it just dragged on really long. So someone was about to win, then everyone did the fate stuff, and then uh, another person was about to win, and it kept going. And at the end, there were three of us that were just all really close to winning, and we're just going back and forth <laughs> attacking those three people until finally it ended. So... <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I liked the first like thirty minutes of the game, but then it dragged on too long. I thought. So how long? How long does it say it's supposed to last? Um, Do you know? It says it's supposed to last fifty minutes on Board Game Geek, but okay. I think our game was probably an hour and a half or something. And I think it definitely is probably added on more pe- more time per player. So yeah, if you guys were playing with the full complement of six, it would have been yeah, even worse. Longer, yeah. I mean, and this is intended to be. A mass market game, right? Like this is yes. this is definitely marketed toward more casual gamers. That feels even I mean, even an hour feels kind of long for a game with this theme ge- geared toward mass market P yeah. players, potentially. I don't know. I liked the concept and I do like asymmetric games a lot. Although I will say King Triton is a bad guy. Because, and I I will preface this with, I love the Little Mermaid, truthfully, but King Triton had the ability to turn her fin into legs the whole time. time. And he like literally is just like, screw you, daughter. And so that's why she goes to the Sea Witch in the first place. If he had just been like, oh, this is what my daughter wants. Let me help her with that. Then there would, none of this would have happened. So he, yeah, yeah, it's all his fault. He is a bad guy. Don't at me, basically. <laughs> like, Triton's horrible. Also, Ariel can write, and so the fact that she doesn't write anything when she's with yeah. Prince Eric makes nothing, no sense. I have heard that, like, being able to write her name and being able to write in general technically could be two different skill sets, but I don't know. She seemed to sign her name very fancy. <laughs> yeah. In script, so. <laughs> and he, he was even asking her name at the beginning. She could have written it down, I think. <laughs> oh, that's true. Even if that is the only thing she knows to how to write, that she could have written. <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, man. Yeah, I, I love it. I do. But there's so many plot holes. <laughs> yeah. But that does remind me that in, in Villainous, the way to get rid of the heroes is usually there's... um. There's an action where you're attacking the heroes on your board with your allies, so you have to have more strength than them. But with Ursula, she doesn't have that action. Instead, she has to play a contract card on the hero, a binding contract, and, <laughs> and have them sign it, and then they have to move to a location, and then they go away. Okay, that's so the, funny. Thought, yeah, so the card... And the asymmetry of the cards was pretty thematic. And so I thought that was really cool. That's neat. So if you've got somebody that's like a hardcore Disney fan, they're going to enjoy those little nods in this game, it sounds like. Okay. But it's probably better with like two to three players, I think, because it will probably drag on less. (laughs) Okay. But it wouldn't suffer with the smaller player count is what you're saying? Uh, I'm not sure because the people I played with said they didn't like it with two players. But then I, I don't know. I feel like I would like it more with two players because there would be less of the take that and right like i hate right, having so. to choose who to attack like yeah. all the other things being equal or just yeah attacking somebody because they're in the lead i guess that is a good reason sometimes but yeah if it's two yeah. players i don't feel guilty about attacking my opponent because they're my opponent so yeah i, I wouldn't want to play it again with four or more players <laughs> okay so that was villainous villainous published yeah. in 2018 uh who was the publisher on that one Wonderforge. Wonderforge. What else have they published? Is that a company that is well known? I heard they're like a subsidiary of Ravensburger. Oh, okay. Interesting. 
All right, well, I recently got a game in the mail that I had backed on Kickstarter, and I am super excited, or I was super excited to get it. It is one of the button-shy wallet games. So it comes in a tiny little wallet, and it is made up of 18 cards, and it is called Sprawlopolis, which is just really fun to say. Uh, Sprawlopolis is a, a wallet game, 18 cards for one to four players, where everyone are city planners constructing a new city together. It is a cooperative game, which I think for the button shy line of games is not super common. I don't know how many cooperative games they have. They have a bunch of games that I haven't tried though, so there might be more than I know about. So in Sprawlopolis, there's a really cool mechanic where since it is cooperative, but there's only 18 cards, um, it would be difficult to have everybody have a large hand of cards to be able to play the game. So whoever's uh, the active player will have three cards in their hand. They'll play one card and then they pass the other two cards to the player on their left, who then takes their turn and does the same thing. And you're always drawing back one card at the end of your turn. But that way, all of the players are always getting to choose from three cards, but they don't actively hand have a large hand of cards, which I think works well with the 18 card format. So in the game, players are placing down cards into a grid to build a city. Um, there are four different types of areas of the city, commercial, park, industrial, and residential. And they are trying to build large blocks of each of those types as well as connect roads with on those cards as well. The roads are kind of varied in how they loop and stretch across each card. And you get bonuses based on the different areas being matched up at the end of the game. You get score points for your largest area of each type. And, but you get negative points for every road that you have. So if you connect all of the roads together into one long road, then it's only minus one point. But if you have multiple little roads all over the place, then it's minus a lot more points, however many roads you have. But the coolest part of this game is similar to in Circle the Wagons, which I know I've discussed on the show before, every single card in the game on the back has a different scoring condition. At the beginning of the game, you choose three of those cards at random and flip them over, and those are your three scoring conditions for that particular game. The other 15 cards go into the deck and are what you end up playing from, but the scoring conditions all have a different number associated with them, and you add the numbers of the three cards that you've chosen together, and that is the total score that you have to hit to win the game. So based on which scoring conditions are chosen, if they're easier ones, they might have a higher number on them. If they're really difficult, they may have a lower number on them, and so on and so forth. So you it's interesting because every single game is going to be different. You always have those two basic scoring conditions, the negative points for roads and the positive points for the largest area of each of the four types. But then the other scoring conditions might kind of lend themselves to those things or not. I love this game so much. I honestly thought that no wallet game could ever overtake Circle the Wagons for me because I love Circle the Wagons so much. But this one, especially being cooperative, I think this might be my new number one. I need to play it more to find out for sure, but I it is wonderful. If you if people haven't looked into these wallet games from Button Shy because they're like, oh, it's only 18 cards, how good could it be? You are missing out on some really great games that you can literally like we talk about small box games occasionally. But even like a small box, especially if you're a guy that doesn't carry a purse, maybe you don't have a place to put it. This you could fit in your pocket. 
no matter who you are and how skinny those jeans are, you can fit it in there. And it is great. It's so good. And you can play it solo as well. I have not done that yet, but I'm going to for sure. I'm loving it. Ambie, have you played any of the wallet games? I don't remember. I have not, but I want to now. (laughs) Yeah, I honestly, like, I need to look into some of the others in the line. They have a lot. And I know that Buttonshy also has, like, a monthly subscription thing that you can join where they send you a wallet game, I think, every month. I could be mistaken about the frequency. But, um, yeah, like, like, I'm sure not all of their games are the best things ever, you know, not to disparage them, but obviously there are going to be hits and misses in any line of games. But based on these two, I really should look into some of the others. Um, I've, yeah, I think I've only played three or four total games in their uh, line of games, but these two, Circle the Wagons, Sprawlopolis, super awesome. I highly recommend them to anyone who like fun games with a small footprint. And this one looks really nice out on the table too. Like it just looks neat. It kind of looks Sim City-esque when you've got it all built out. It's wonderful. So that is Sprawlopolis, published in 2018 from Buttonshy Games. So for this week's thematic segment, We, uh, in the past, have done games based on themes that people don't typically think of as themes for games. So we did, like, an episode about hot games, like games where heat or sun are kind of, like, prevalent. And we did one about cold games, so frozen, snow, that kind of stuff. Uh, So I guess we're taking the snow theme and we're adding the hot theme to it because we're going to talk about water games. Uh, And when we came up with this theme, we didn't really define what is a water game because I think there are a lot of different interpretations of what that would be. Um, So that could be a game where the primary setting is water of some kind or where water is a very important mechanic in the game. Um, or where you are just water adjacent for the entirety of the game. So when we started making a list of games for this, uh, there were a lot of different things that I came up with. And so however you define a water game, we've defined it as a bunch of different things, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there are a lot of games that involve water on the board. Like, you know how trading in the Mediterranean is a big thing. That's a big ocean thing. Yeah, right? So... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, oceans and rivers and lakes are prevalent in mm-hmm. at least the artwork if not yeah. the like mechanics of many 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 games. But I think sometimes there are some uh, more unique ways to use water. Like I played Spirit Island recently and in Spirit Island you're playing as different spirits on an island <laughs> trying to <laughs> repel the invaders. <laughs> of course there's water because it's on an island, but also some of the spirits are water themed. Like one of the spirits is a river spirit. So you're more powerful in the water and you could have powers that have to do with the water. So I thought that was pretty interesting. That is pretty cool. I still haven't gotten to play Spirit Island and I really think that's a game I'm going to like. Like even at BlitzCon this past year, uh, Eric and some other people were playing it Mm -hmm. and I was like, ooh, I want to play it so much. (laughs) And it just like never worked out time wise because I think I want to say I was playing Star Trek Ascendancy when Uh they started it. And I was like, well, I won't be done with this anytime (laughs) soon. So there's some other games that are really popular that involve water pretty heavily. Uh, Forbidden Island, I would say, is probably one of the top ones. Mm -hmm. Like you're literally on an island that is flooding that you have to escape and the flood mechanic is one of the primary things in the game and it's a sister game forbidden desert 
is actually there's water is a big factor in that one as well because your life essentially is your water level like you have to have mm-hmm. enough water to be able to survive so even though the game is located in a desert water still plays an integral role in it yeah that's pretty interesting <laughs> then there's a lot of games that take place in the open ocean You've got things like Get Bit, where you are literally trying to swim away from sharks in the ocean. (laughs) Deep Sea Adventure, where everyone is diving down to get some treasure. Survive Escape from Atlantis, where you are trying to get from uh, one island to another island, and you often end up in the water trying to swim to safety. Or even like Captain Sonar, where the mechanics of the game technically have nothing to do with water, but you're playing on two opposing submarines. So you're obviously in the ocean for the entirety of the game. So I don't know if that is that a water like is that a water game or not? Like I think it counts. Yeah, because it's a submarine game. And yeah, submarines are in the ocean, but you just don't think of it being water. When right, because I don't think of it being water when I'm playing. It would be cool to play that game with like some really nice like thematic music in the background, like mm-hmm. or if you could get like submarine style like noises, you know, oh, kind like, of like the beeping and stuff. Yeah, like something Sonar. like <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's called. <laughs> yes, that, and also you just like that kind of like tinny metal, you know, like mechanical mm-hmm. clanking stuff like i think that would be neat to add to the thematicness of that although captain sonar is always so frantic feeling i feel like i would just ignore the music (laughs) that's true another thing i was thinking of when we're doing water as a theme was that maybe there are some games that you can play underwater like in a pool and you would need to have waterproof components so like one thing that came to my mind was hive because those are just little tiles that are pretty waterproof do you think the tiles sink or float um, I don't. I haven't actually played Hive, so I don't know the density of the tile. Probably sink. I've played Hive, but I don't. I don't remember them being super heavy. So I feel like, and I think they're made of plastic. So I imagine they oh, would okay. actually float. So you'd have to have like clear plexiglass yeah. that you could maybe put them like underneath. But obviously, not everybody can hold their breath for multiple minutes at a time. So also make sure you have some scuba gear with you <laughs> if you're going to play Hive underwater. Yeah. But also maybe you could have a floating table in the middle of the pool and just play any game on it (laughs) yeah and especially if the pieces do float then if they like theoretically like slid off you could just grab them (laughs) that new game that uh people have been talking about the solo game that you play holding in the palm of your hand palm island Mm -hmm. i know i've heard that the cards for that game are made of plastic like entirely plastic so technically those cards are waterproof so you could play that in a pool or in the rain or wherever <laughs> um, and not have to worry about them getting wet. Although I imagine they, since they're plastic, they would be slippery when they're wet. And I know that you, ha- as you're holding the deck of cards in your hand, you have to manipulate them, like slide, you know, turn them sideways mm-hmm. and other things like that. So I wonder if it would be get difficult to play if it was wet. Then it's mixed with a dexterity game. <laughs> yeah. Somebody should try this and definitely let us know because, <laughs> oh my gosh, if you send us a picture of you playing Hive or Palm Island in a pool... Uh, or any other game. Or any game. Yes. Take a picture of yourself. <laughs> Don't. Okay. For the record, Board Game Blitz does not uh, condone <laughs> playing games that can be damaged by water in a pool. But if you have a game that won't be damaged by it, send us a picture and maybe we'll send you some Blitz swag or something because that would be really funny. <laughs> yeah. There's so many games that are like water adjacent 
And there's a mm-hmm. lot of expansions to non-water games that involve water. So, like, Carcassonne has the river expansion. Like, Carcassonne really has nothing to do with water, but then there's a river expansion for that. I believe there's a river expansion for Small World and Catan. So there's lots of th- ways to bring water into a non-water game. Are they always rivers? <laughs> um, I don't know. Probably. It feels like if, a, if it's a land-based game, yeah. a river is the easiest way to incorporate water. They're uh, one of the few racing games that I don't hate. Uh, Jamaica is a boat mm. race. Yeah. I have, we've talked about this before. I'm weirdly good at Jamaica. I win every time and usually by a lot. And I have no idea why. Like, it makes no sense at all. I'm some weird Jamaica savant. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny every time. There's other things that take place on water. Like, you've played Container, right? That's all about yes. shipping containers, right? Yeah, that's true. That is technically on water. <laughs> well, you have your... Your warehouses on the land, and then the boats take them from the land to the island and to other places. So, yeah. The the whole table is water there, because you have your boats on the table. <laughs> and then, I, I don't want to give any spoilers, so I'm going to be very vague here. But there was one of these scenarios for time stories that had a mechanic that involved water that I still to this day believe is one of the most thematic moments I've ever had in a board game ever it's was literally mind-blowing when it happened to me the first time if anybody wants to know which scenario that was feel free to reach out to me and I'll tell you without spoiling what happens but if you're curious which scenario it was I'll tell you I just don't want to mention it here in case anyone hasn't played it and wants to go in completely blind if they do ever get around to it but yeah like one of the most thematic moments ever and you would think Things involving water and mechanics in a board game would be very difficult to make feel real. And so I was really shocked when it happened. So that was really cool. Yeah, that was an interesting mechanic. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Like, I honestly was just like, wow, like, I never would have thought of that. But it worked out so well. Uh, And I do, I have to mention, Ambie, since we talked about these in our last episode, there is an (laughs) Oceanopoly. So one of those many three themes of Monopoly, there is Oceanopoly (laughs) that does exist. What are the properties? Like islands or? Uh, You know what? I didn't actually look it up. I wonder if I can find a picture. So like the one I'm looking at here is like different things that are in the ocean. So it's like crab, lobster, urchin, pufferfish, angelfish, clownfish. Things like that. So yes. it's not as thematic. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Instead of jail, it's low tide. And so <laughs> when you land on the go to jail space, it says swim to low tide. <laughs> okay. That's funny. So wait, what is go? It's called splash. <laughs> and free parking is called feeding frenzy. And there is a very terrifying picture of a shark on it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I think this is our cue that we should wrap up our discussion of water (laughs) themed games because we've gone off the rails, but I'm sure there are probably a bunch of games that we've forgotten to mention that are water themed or have water as a primary mechanic. If you have a favorite game that is water themed, feel free to shout out to us on our uh, post on our BGG Guild for this episode or on Twitter, anywhere, and let us know if there's any ones we missed. And also, like I said before, take a picture of yourself playing a board game in your pool. Or in the rain. Or in the rain. Yeah, that's good too. But again, we are not responsible for any damage to any games (laughs) that are played as a result of this directive. So do it at your own risk, please. (laughs) 
For this week's etymology segment, I'm looking at the history of the word flood, a word that fits in with our water theme and is often applied to economic markets that show up in some games. The English word flood can be traced back to the Old English flawed, which can be traced further back to the Proto-Germanic flodas, which meant flowing water or deluge. That word was also the source word of the Old Frisian flod, the Old Norse flu, the Middle Dutch flot, the German flut, and the Gothic flotus. Going a little further back, we find the suffixed form of the Proto-Indo-European root plu, which meant to flow or the source of flow. In early modern English, the word flood was actually spelled and pronounced a little bit differently. F-L-O-U-D, rhyming with cloud. The figurative use of the word, meaning a great quantity or sudden abundance, didn't actually come about until the mid-14th century. Obviously, our show is lighthearted in nature, but flooding can be a severe and devastating natural disaster that communities have a difficult time recovering from. If you want a little extra karma this week, look into donating to a charitable organization that helps with natural disasters such as flooding, like the Red Cross or the Rainbow World Fund. Hopefully we can help make the world a little bit better of a place. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. This episode was sponsored by Gray Fox Games. If you want insider info about everything going on at Gray Fox, including game and expansion release info, and the chance to win cool prizes, sign up for the Gray Fox Games newsletter at grayfoxgames.com. Gray Fox Games. Quality games, cleverly crafted. If you're enjoying the show, you can rate and review us on your podcast provider or consider becoming a patron. For as little as $1 a month, you can unlock access to unedited episodes and our private Slack channel, which lets you chat with us and other Blitzkeeters directly. Head to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz to become a patron today. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Mara. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a part of the Dice Tower Network. Until next time, let's go blitz some water games. We'll stick to the rivers and the lakes like we used to. Bye, everyone. Bye. Woo, alliteration, alliteration time. <laughs> okay, it's alliteration time, everyone. Uh, last week, we asked you to retheme a game about serenity for folks who harvest crops in a comedic manner. What game was that, Ambie? Funny Farmer's Firefly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, for this week, we are going to ask you to retheme a game about a giant waterfall for a person who takes care of children who feels kind of sick. Good luck, everybody.